sitting in front of us or online over there. I see that our live stream is going. Thank you for being here today. Um, over these next couple of weeks, as I mentioned last week, we're gonna we're gonna continue on in this this vein of what we've been doing, and that is um, treating Sundays as sort of a, a bit of a hybridized time. It's sort of a combination of how we how we have worship and what our community group rhythms look like. And so these these sort of teachings that we're having are not meant for me to just proclaim. They're actually designed now so that there is some dialogue between you and I and us and us regarding some very important things that I think are prevalent in our culture right now. And so uh, what I want to do today is continue the, the same format that we had last week. If you were with us here last week, you will know what that is. If not, I'll kind of give you a layout. We're going to go through some questions here. And then in the middle of this, I'm going to uh, share a verse with you. And you might be saying, you know, in a traditional teaching, what we'll do in the front of the room is uh, proclaim a verse and then unpack it. When we have a discussion like this, and this is actually really good too, when we think about discipling other people, one of the benefits of discussing certain ideas before exposing a biblical truth is that it really allows us to get a good gauge on where people are coming from. In other words, we get to understand how people understand a certain truth or maybe a falsity that they believe is the truth before we actually see the, uh, the clear and objective biblical truth. So last week we sort of unpacked a little bit, uh, getting together, we had a pretty decent crowd again today, thank all of you for being here. We sort of unloaded a little bit about what the last couple of months were like for us as people. And that's very, very important. In other words, last week was designed to be somewhat of a self-care. But today I want to talk about, or at least discuss, something that's equally as important as self-care, especially in times like this where there is tremendous need. Some of us might have tremendous need, and there is certainly no shortage of it in the spheres of influence that we uh, carry or conduct ourselves in, especially if you're looking or are aware. So I'm going to ask you a question, and this is a general question. You may answer it however you, you, you feel. This is a uh, you know, safe space regarding the fact that we encourage open and free dialogue here. I want to know, do you think people, when you think of them in general, maybe your own life story, the folks you, you've interacted with, looking at culture on the whole, history, people, I mean the, the whole course of human history, do you think people are innately more concerned about themselves or others when it comes to needs in life? I'll say it one more time. Do you think people are innately, what are the rhythms you've seen, innately more concerned about themselves or others when it comes to needs. And when I say needs, I, I want us to just assume we're not talking about wants here. In the nature of our discussion this morning, we're talking about legitimate legitimate needs. What's been your experience with people, even yourself, whatever you feel like sharing? So you're, you're clearly saying there's a communal aspect to 
the way the way we function or behave actually can and is shaped in part by the people we carry ourselves with. Okay, that's going to be a very important thing to come back to here in a little bit. In fact, John, you want to go up here and finish again? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't think that you can be selfless by yourself. You, you are spot on. Uh, so, I mean, just looking at this to, to the tail end, if, if you, let's just say someone is a hyper-individualist, and that, that, that DNA exists in our world, meaning the person is not really around other people. Kind of functionally, it's impossible to care about other people if you minimally or don't at all surround yourself with people in any kind of relational form. So hyper-individualism actually can can feed itself when there is no objective rudder to check the balance of selfish or selflessness. That's a really good point. And when we come back to Philippians, uh, we'll see that this is one of the this is sort of one of the fuels that Paul gives us to be able to carry ourselves in a way where we can balance selfishness and selflessness. What else? What uh what other experiences do you have? Okay, so in case you didn't hear Omar on this side of the room, what he was saying is that if you look at the just sort of the, the story of human history, it's pretty packed with examples of, of people uh, caring for themselves. Sometimes we, we can even say in abusive ways. It's sort of like that old adage that says, you know, people who have power just want more power. We can certainly, throughout the course of every established civilization, you'd be really hard-pressed to find examples where they were not abuses of that power. Typically what happens is the power itself is what is more valuable to the person wielding it than the actual people that they are serving. This is what we would call like maybe a, an autocratic government or um, a, some type of dictatorship or just even in small groups. You can see this in sort of religious cults. There's, there's no shortage of stories where people have sort of taken advantage of others to benefit themselves. In other words, they have, unlike the story of the cross where we see Jesus disadvantaging himself for us, they have disadvantaged others for the sake of self. And that certainly has to be mentioned when we talk about humanity, because as much as there are amazing and wonderful people in our world, there are also people who, who function this way and, and will hurt somebody if given the chance to take advantage of them. But I want to refine this question now. Because we're talking in generalities in the sense that uh, it's probably pretty fair to say, and you're certainly okay to disagree with this, that if you were to think of humanity on the whole, we probably have a, a bunch of examples of really selfless people and a bunch of examples of really selfish people. Uh, this exists in humanity, and when crises arise, arises, you usually see the best and the worst of people. I'll, I'll never forget, this is just an off-the-cuff thought I had, when my wife and I was in Gainesville now with my daughter, uh, when we were in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina, that was a great example where we saw like the best and the worst of people. So I'll never forget watching a newscast where a reporter was literally reporting in front of a completely submerged section of interstate. Like it was like 10 feet deep the way that the, the interstate had sort of you know dipped down a little bit and come back up. And you couldn't really tell that.
that driving on the road. If you were driving on the road, it just looked like flat road. And so as he was talking about this section of I-10 that was completely underwater, a car whizzed behind him and slammed into the water. Like, it literally hit the water and submerged. And he dropped his microphone and ran around and jumped into the water and got the people out of out of that car. It was amazing. Like, you can't make this stuff up. Literally, uh, probably the, the most famous report of, of somebody helping somebody. Now, on the other side of the fence, my wife and I lived in a two-story apartment building, which the whole apartment building was completely uh, destroyed. But I thought, you know what? We live on the second floor of the building. Uh, although the water didn't get that high, believe it or not. But I thought most of the looting and all the stuff that went on would only happen on the first level of, the, of any apartment complex. Like, how would somebody be able to, uh, when, when a city is on the water, get up that high? And what we found out on the news is that uh, certain people had figured out that they could take canoes or heroes, and the little canoes, and they could actually paddle themselves to second-story windows, kick out the windows, and rob the, the, the second-story uh, of these buildings. And if you think about it, it's a brilliant idea with a terrible application, right? If that person was in the business world, maybe they would do something wonderful. But a perfect example of like two people looking at a scenario, one is trying to help, the other is trying to take advantage. So what I want to do here is I want to try to personalize this a little bit and say, I'm going to refine the question. And you're going to have to pardon me with this mic in my mouth. You know that I used to have a little mic here, and if you would tie my hands as an Italian, I can't speak. So I'm going to keep hitting it. I'm trying my best to not bump it. Uh, when, what do you think the natural impulse of people would be when they're confronted with a genuine need? Okay? But now I want to refine it to, to our circles of influence. So it's one thing to say, here's a random person that takes advantage of people, or here's a random person that's serving people. Let's tighten the, the margin here a little bit and say, what would the natural impulse of people be if we were presented with a legitimate need in our own families? or our own circles of influence, our friends. If there's a need here and a need here, uh, what is the impulse of people? What's the, the intuition of people to, to care for their own, to sacrificially care for others? What, uh, there's, there's no right or wrong answer here, and I, I don't want to say more about this question because I don't want to restrict the answer. But I'm curious if we degeneralize this and actually make it very specific. Who do we tend to intuitively care for, our own or others? Like if you're feeding somebody else's kidney to bread, what's the impulse to serve? Your own first. Okay. Okay. So I heard your own first. Um, I see a head shake. Uh, was there something in the back? I said split it in half. Split it in half. Okay. So there's a good answer, right? We can share the bread, right? Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question about a question. Why do you think I've asked this this question? when it comes to genuine need in our own lives and in the lives of people we care about and genuine need in the lives of others. Why is it important for us to not just look at the best and the worst of society, but for us to actually look at a more, a more neutral ground, maybe we might even say a more complicated uh, need scenario? Okay, so it, it could give us a, a, a tangible next step to deal with maybe a circumstance that is going on in our life uh, right now, depending on what that looks like in our, our natural spirit of things. Yes, it is something we need to think about because a lot of times it's not you know, all or nothing. Sometimes it's a complicated need. Sometimes there really is mutual need and we might need to, to figure out where, where need is greater. 
great, great insight. What else? Why is it important, or what's the intuition when it comes to caring for those whom we love? Maybe yeah. as opposed to like Abe, or Richard, just gave the example of being praying for our enemies. Obviously, I'd, I'd much prefer to pray for my children than for my enemies. Not that I have any of those knowingly. But, uh, you know, that's a perfect example where we might even benevolently want to meet needs in our own circles of influence at the expense of other, other circles that might have legitimate need. Why do you think it is that we're inclined to take care of our own first? It all, it all comes back to the uh, airplane air mask model. Always put your own mask on first before helping the guy next to you, or you might not be able to help them. Okay. But I think most good people's intuition is really to help others first. It's just they don't act that way. Okay, so if you shouldn't get this mask, then it's the, the whole airplane air mask scenario where, you know, they tell you, if you're in a, whatever, steep drop, go ahead and put your mask on first before taking care of the people to the left and the right. There is definitely uh, a stream of culture that does, that does sort of commit us to this idea about managing self first. And I'm actually, I'm not saying that it's bad to take care of self. I'm just saying I, I wonder if over time, the thought of putting our own mask on first, that's just where we put the period rather benevolently. And we forget that there are other people around the medical that, that are without without masks. What are some other reasons why we might intuitively or benevolently think about self at the expense of others? Drug abuse and all kinds of crazy things. They're in this 
mediation home to be able to get on their feet and, uh, and get plugged into society again. We've had faithful groups of people for 10 years going out there doing that. So there, there is a need, absolutely, to be mindful of what is going on around us. And a lot of times, the, the burdens of our heart, I really believe, are, are how God leads us uh, to serve. There's already an existing passion. It's just a matter of us understanding what it is and applying some gospel intentionality to it. Let me ask you another question. So we've talked about selfishness and selflessness in general. We've talked about the fact that sometimes it's not necessarily a black and white issue. It really can be that two really good people have need. It could really be that we're at a place where um, you know, we have to split bread. There's not even an option to give out two loaves and just a single loaf. We have to make some sacrifices. I want to know what you have observed over the past you know, six months especially, what needs have you seen arise over these past months in the life of people? And you can be as general or specific as you want. Just don't mention any names. Though. So don't be like, Anthony's been crying on my shoulder every week because he's <laughs> dehydrating to death out here you know, in the, in the, at the crack of creek. But what I mean is, don't, don't tell me a conversation you have with your neighbor in specific, but give it to us in general. And keep in mind that we don't want to limit this just to physical need. Simply meaning, we've been created physical, spiritual, and emotional beings. And it could very well be that you are in an environment where you're having to care for somebody's emotional needs. Maybe they are physically set for life, but emotionally they're wrecked. Or maybe they are emotionally stable, but what has happened is, is their, their spirituality, uh, their, their understanding of faith has been rocked to the core. Or maybe it is that you truly are in a position where you know somebody who needs bread. Don't restrict this just to the traditional ways we understand need. I really want to broaden this and, and ask what what types of need in those areas, physical, spiritual, and emotional, have you seen or observed in your own lives or in the lives of your neighbor over the past, let's say six months, since that's sort of when the world sort of fell apart. Absolutely can, can coexist with each other. So let's 
let's kick this around a little bit. What um, what other examples, particularly when it comes to crises, how it's like you know it's in our faces and then it's not in our faces. That's how our culture deals with problems. Yes. Uh, one thing about us is we're kind of shelter because we're retired and we're not anyway. But the benevolence problem is we set up as a church is an opportunity for us to get to people that we don't know about because we have a better problem. Okay, so that's a wonderful example uh, from John. He mentioned, in case you didn't hear, that our, our benevolence fund, we call this our mercy ministry, that here's a way where tangibly, we as a church, we put certain dollars into a certain fund so that we as a church can respond to things that, that are going on. And there have been a slew of them. You know that we, um, we, we made a, a donation at the beginning of this whole COVID thing to a, a, a home called The Home in Daytona, which dealt with uh, women who essentially were involved with domestic violence. And so you think about this, like for some of us, maybe being locked up with our families for a couple of weeks a month was really wonderful and we loved the time. But for some people, that meant that they were now three feet away from somebody who treated them very poorly, maybe even physically abused them. And so as a church, through some of our offerings and enterprise, we, we help those folks. Palmetto House, we help those folks. We made contributions uh, for personal protection equipment. Uh, all of these things are great examples of our cumulative support, helping needs that maybe not as individuals we don't know about, but as a church because of our network, we, we do know about. So we definitely do not want to exclude the church proper restoration in, in what we do and how we serve and the importance of having a mercy fund, a benevolence fund. That's a great, great, uh, great point, John. Thank you for raising that. It's both an individual responsibility, right, and, and a corporate responsibility that we have as, uh, as a church. Any other particular needs you've seen? Not really, I don't know about a need, but, and I don't know if it's just my social media, but I have uh, visually seen on social media how people are trying to bring God back to the forefront. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, communications on uh, about uh, God on social media. Okay. okay, so Dennis says he's noticed an uptick in the conversations about about God, about faith on the media platforms. You know, there's a lot of media platforms, there's always a lot of stuff going on. Half of it makes me want to drive my car if you're not a bridge. But <laughs> the other half can be sensible and, and, uh, and informed. But you're, you're right, a great example of, of the scenario we're living in, or scenarios in general, where there's a challenge or a crisis, people do tend to look for answers. They want they want wise. This is the story of humanity. They want wise. And so, there, there likely are natural or more natural opportunities for us as God's people to bless people in the realm of the spiritual and the emotional now. Because this is what we would say is like a sensitive heart. Somebody is not sensitive to what's going on in the world and might even have been deeply affected by it. So a lot of times the things that go on in the world, they can actually create opportunities that might not exist in 18 months. Who knows what the world's going to look like in 18 months? But people might not be as sensitive or open to the idea of faith or or our answer to why in the Christian faith. Uh, so great, that's a great point that there's a there's a cultural dialogue going on right now in places of residence, business, and certainly on the media, the media platforms. One one more one more example of this before we move into the sort of 
from around third base here. Here's if you have another example of of a need, a perceived need, or a need you've seen in the physical, spiritual, or emotional over the past six months. the reality of, of what it has been like for some people to be isolated. And he has shared an example of somebody who has like not left their home. They've been you know, locked up for the past five months or so. And that obviously has a takes a tremendous toll on, on people. We, You've heard me teach on this a million times if you've been a restoration. We have been designed. We've been built for community. And this is not just a, a, a trendy thought. It actually finds its root in the trinity. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were never not with each other. So the very origin of faith, and I use origin with a lowercase O, because we believe God has always been, um, they have always been in the presence of each other. And that's why we have such a strong, or place such a strong value on community, or if you want the fancy word, ecclesiology, the, the, the church, the study of the church. We are meant to be with each other. And so if we are paralyzed by, uh, by fear, or we are just at a place where we're, we're locked up away, I don't know, I actually do know, that is not healthy. It's where is the person that actually enjoys that type of a lifestyle? So for some people, it could be that they really have just been so alone for so long that it's created a, you know, a groundswell of physical, spiritual, and emotional trial. And that is something to be very mindful of, that it's probably without doubt that we have at least a single person in our lives that has, uh, that has been seriously affected by by these quarantine uh, uh, mandates, whatever they are, wherever they are. Being alone is not good. It might be good for a little bit, but it's not good for a lot of it, okay? I know that's bad English, but I wanted to really be like that All right, so let me ask you this. Do we as Christians have a responsibility to be equally mindful of the needs of others, especially as we look to the life of Jesus, whom we are called to be more like? So what I want to do now is take all this sort of loose chat and I don't want to talk about options anymore. I want to actually ask, when we think about the person of Jesus, and we're going to read a verse here in a second, would you say that we have the option to care for others? Or does the life of Jesus sort of, I'm just going to use the word, benevolently mandate, meaning should our hearts be compelled to care for others? How does Christ's life on earth, the things we read about in the scripture, how does that inform how we understand need and our role in alleviating it? What's our responsibility in that based on the life of Jesus? You do you know who Jesus is, right? Yes. 
So Doug brings up an excellent point. The great commandments. When Jesus has asked, what, what are the greatest commandments? You know, the Pharisees are trying to trip them up. He brings this perfect balance of, of essentially lo loving God and loving neighbor. And the idea here is that um, we love neighbor as self, meaning there is a bit of an equality here. I don't, want you, I don't want you to hear me saying that we shouldn't care for ourselves, but you can get into this place where you, you can devalue yourself to the place where it's unhealthy for you as a person, or you can devalue your neighbor where it's unhealthy in the way that you represent Jesus. And I think you will find, if you, if you look at both Testaments, but especially the particular commands Jesus references about how we think about ourselves, we are prescribed an unassailable word because of the identity of who we are in Jesus. In other words, nobody can say we are less valuable or less precious than we actually are because Jesus has declared those who are in him as beautiful and amazing. That's a, that's a profound rudder to live our lives by. But it also means that we recognize the inherent value and worth that other people have and live our lives in a way where we, we don't just see that in ourselves. It compels our hearts to actually care for others in the same way. So that's a great point. We want there to be a balance between loving self, caring for self, recognizing God's love for us, and us pouring out our love for those who are uh, First is this idea that you use the word required, like, and I, I do think that's actually an okay word. Um, I I like how Paul, when he's talking about particular things, he often will say compelled. It's the same idea. Like, what what he's talking about is that our understanding of Jesus really should compel us uh, in our hearts to to embrace the same truths that that he did. And so it is pretty fair to say, and I want to say this with a ton of grace and the reality that uh, sanctification takes a life, right, our whole lives to grow in, in the areas of the grace of Jesus Christ, is that there really is a requirement to love our neighbor as ourselves. They're actually called the great the great commandments, meaning that these are the things God has called us to do. But we want to have mercy, obviously, and we want to have grace, we want to have community, we want to encourage each other in the places where we might be strong or weak in those areas. The second thing you bring up, I think, is equally important, and that is, uh, it goes back to the statement that I said earlier, uh, a little intentionality goes a long way. I think for a lot of people, what happens is the idea of thinking about serving your neighbor might be a little daunting. Maybe, maybe you've never done that, or maybe you're not sure how to do that, and what I want to encourage you, based on Susan's comments to think about, 
is that you don't have to fabricate these narratives in life. If you actually believe that the Holy Spirit is real, and according to the New Testament is working in all the world until the return of Jesus, then what that means is there are already people, already people in your life. Maybe you don't know who they are yet, but there are already people in your lives whom God desires you to, to, to serve. So I think it's much more encouraging to say, you know, Father, show me where there are needs, show me where there are things going in life where I can serve, as opposed to saying, how do I do this on my own? Because you're, you're not on your own. One, you're connected to a church, and two, you are connected to the, the never-ending infinite knowledge of God's Holy Spirit, who knows the, the deepest details of every human heart. And I think to align our hearts with that truth actually can breed a humble confidence in us to where we are intentionally looking or are mindful of, of where those needs are in life. I want to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 40. There, there were so many verses, including one of my favorites in Hebrews, where uh, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, our high priest, essentially endures every trouble and trial that we do so that he can not only just redeem us from them, but he actually can empathize with us. And he, in other words, he, he doesn't just, in the, in the garden, for example, when he is about to go to the cross and we can see this, this tension, this sort of anxiousness in him, he doesn't just go through that so that he can go through that. He goes through that so that you and I can know in the days when we might be anxious that God has not only prescribed his gospel to help deal with that, he's actually endured that same struggle on our behalf, obviously without falling you know, victim to the the sin that anxiety can bring, and that is rampant, like we earlier, sort of rampant, unchecked fear. Anxiety unchecked really can lead to some very bad uh, places. And so I wanted to share that verse, but I actually thought I'll share Philippians 2. Uh, but I actually just shared both verses with you, so there we go. Uh, Hebrews 4 and Philippians 2. It, 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 Paul says this writing to the church at Philippi. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then he goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others. In this case, he says, above yourselves. So he introduces a new paradigm that there might actually be times when we actually have to place the needs of somebody before our own. And then he goes on to say, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then what happens is he gives us this incredibly long list. I'm going to read it to you, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He doesn't give us a practical, like, here's what to do. He literally says the way we, the way we bring about this kind of unity, the way we care for people, is by actually recognizing who Jesus is and what he has done. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul prescribes the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. He says, in your relationships with one another, and this is certainly applicable to the way we as believers treat each other and the way that we treat people who are far from God. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's what he says. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he did not take, he didn't say, I'm an all-powerful God who can do whatever I want, and I'm going to subdue humanity and take advantage of you. That verse simply states that God, the most powerful entity ever, 
lays down this power for the benefit of others. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, obviously it's a reference to the incarnation, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not just death, but death on the cross. And the, the salvation narrative is connected to that, meaning he dies so that we don't have to. And then he goes on to say, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want to say one last thing, and then I want to ask one last question. Uh, next to the Gospel of John, which is my favorite book in the New Testament, uh, the book of Philippians is sort of equally my favorite. It's the only book I was actually able to translate word for word uh, from the Greek into English in seminary. I, and I love it. I got to spend with six other students a whole semester literally translating this and seeing the dynamics of, of how difficult and challenging it could be to, to take something that was written 2,000 years ago and, and put it into a language that we all speak today. But this text right here, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, it's actually believed to be one of the first, we call this a Christological hymn, meaning that this was not just a, a set of scriptures that were read. This was sort of like a creed that was sung by the early church. It was so prevalent, this idea of, of humbling self for the sake of others, that it was like, we, we, in the same way we sing worship today, they sang this. It was actually a, like a battle cry for the posture of the Christian in the first century world as the church was developing. And the beauty of this teaching is when you, when you zero it out and look at the larger book of Philippians, what you have is a very, not a perfect, but a very healthy church. And one of the things that makes them healthy is that they deeply understand who they are in Jesus. And because of that, they are, they are compelled to be in relationship with each other and have this same mindset that Jesus has. And so what Paul is saying is, the same way Jesus sees you, it is our goal in imperfect and broken ways to see ourselves and other people in the way that Jesus sees us. In the way that Jesus values you and I, we are set apart to value others in the same way. It's one of the, it's one of the great commandments that we love neighbor as self. And in this text, I love the fact that he even mentions there are times when we might even have to put our own need on the back burner to take, to take care of somebody else's need. So my question to you is this. Over these past months, when you think of such a significant truth like this, it's, in some senses it's, it's simple to, to, to speak, right? Part of the Christian life, based on what Jesus has done, is that we disadvantage self for the benefit of others. There is no benefit for Jesus to go to the cross. He pleases his Father and shows us his love. He, he doesn't necessarily get anything out of that, except for the fact that he knows he has pleased his, his Father in heaven and his display to the world the perfect love God has for us. You know, he didn't get, go home with a stipend that day. He went home, he basically went into the grave, and then resurrected, as Paul said. And because of that, one last thing I'll say, in verses 10 and 11, it's interesting, he's exalted to the highest place. That's what, that's what Paul tells us here. And the tense in the Greek here in verses 10 and 11 is actually what we call subjunctive, simply meaning it's speaking about the future. It's saying that there's actually going to come a day, and it might not be this day, but there's going to come a day when every person one way or another is going to acknowledge what Jesus has done. And obviously we hope that we make that acknowledgement here on this earth. But the beauty of this is that the, the credit Jesus is due 
we either receive it or one day we will be obligated to acknowledge it. Uh, and that's a bad side of the cross to be on. It's a beautiful and complex truth. And all I want to ask is, how can something so specific, so clear in the Bible, how can something, something so prevalent in the Bible, how is it that we can, and I mean this genuinely, in very benevolent ways, forget it? I don't think there's not some malevolence in our church. Um, but I want to know why is it that we can, at times, and I'm certainly included in this, benevolently disconnect ourselves from this reality. Why is this so clear in the way Jesus treats us, but can be so difficult at times, maybe not even flipping on our radar to practice in our spheres of influence? This is the last question, so make it good. <laughs> It is 
mindset Jesus had towards us, uh, if we don't fully understand that, or we don't actually, you know, sort of live that out in our lives, there, there is a, a bridge that has to be crossed to sort out why we can follow a God who, who not only treats us this way, but commands us to treat others this way, but, but we don't. And that's part of growing in the grace of Jesus. There's got to be a lot of grace for us to grow in this way. But nonetheless, we should be mindful that if left unchecked, I'm using the word benevolence, simply meaning like we're growing in this, but there actually can be malevolence. There can be a time in someone's life where we just don't care about you. That's the first, you know, that's the difference between the news reporter jumping into the water and the guy kicking out the windows, breaking into second-story houses. One is an unchecked evil, essentially. It's a road person wants to walk down. The other is a, is a check tension in how we grow in the grace of Jesus. One more statement here, and then we'll wrap up. I think our Heavenly Father probably puts out challenges to us, uh, maybe each and every day or whatever, just to see how we would react to it. Yes, if we believe God is at work in the world, and uh, and that God desires us to love people like we've talked about, then we should absolutely, we should wear the spectacles of the fact that God is already working around us. And what we need to do is be in tune with the spirit to sense how and what our particular role in those environments might might be. And I will encourage you here to, to know that it is critical that you be engaged in community here. This came up at the beginning, John, you mentioned that it's kind of hard to be a selfless person if you're maybe not surrounded with other people of the same tribe attempting to, to live in, in a selfless way. And so one of the great beauties we have about living this is the fact that we've been given each other to support each other through this. But all the one another's in the Bible that, that tell us how we are to treat each other and encourage each other and support each other and exhort each other and love one another. So, yes, the assumption I want you all to leave with today is that as we get ready to get on with our weeks, whatever that looks like, it isn't whether or not God has somebody that he desires you to serve in life. The question is who is or who are those people? And asking God to give you clarity and wisdom to see that, and knowing that you have a support network in our church to come back. There's a ton of people here. Not just me, we have a wonderful staff and leadership team. We all have amazing congregants, there are people watching right here. One of the things I've loved most about our church over these past 10 years is the, is the familial the kitchen table vibe that we have. And so don't leave here thinking, how do I do this by myself? Leave here thinking, how do I do this, but who is it that I can invite into this paradigm to help me gain confidence or encouragement? Who can, who can I speak to about this? Who's walked this road before me? Who is somebody that can speak into my life? Who is somebody whom I can be a support to? Maybe maybe this is, a, is natural for you. For some people, this is a gift. They can just very naturally see needs and need it. You're the type of person that needs to be in discipling relationships, needs to be supporting other folks. Because the, the end statement I guess I want to leave you with is, I've used this word benevolent a lot today because it's an important word. Because I don't think that any of us in this room or in this pavilion ever want to not love somebody. That might be a fluid thought here and there, but for the most part, I've gotten to know the bulk of our church pretty well. And the questions we get are, are not like I don't want to love somebody. They're often, how do I love somebody? And what I want to say is that in times of significant crises or trial, it is very natural for us to immediately sort of focus on self. And that can often be at the expense of others. We do need to, like Matt said, we need to make sure our oxygen mask is secure. Because you obviously cannot serve others 
uh, in a healthy way if you are coming from a place that is not healthy. But we just need to remember that others need a mask also. I think that illustration, right? He's going to be teaching next week now. You sure? Okay. So think about that as you, as you leave this week, that our understanding of Christ's love for us really should compel us to take a next step in the way that we love others. And know that you don't go uh, alone in this. We're going to support you. I want to make one quick announcement, and then we'll be on our way. Uh, our schedule is, this is online and on Facebook, so keep in mind we'll be here again next week at Cracker Creek. Uh, August 30th is our moving party. We're going to try to get all the, the current Church of Restoration, you cannot believe how much stuff we have, is sit, still sitting in my garage. And uh, if you want me to remain married, you need to help me get it out of my <laughs> garage. That's all that I'm saying. So August 30th, I'm putting it somewhere with or without you. Uh, so we can give details on that, about how we're going to get that stuff. We, we you know, got it at the theater, so staged at my house, and we're just about in the final stages of contract signing with Sweetwater Elementary. We had another meeting on Thursday with their faculty and the principal, and that's really the one that went direction. And then, Lord willing, we will spend uh, the first week of se September and, and the month of September from here on out meeting at Sweetwater Elementary. Uh, and that is sort of going to be a preview month for us, simply meaning there's going to be a lot, there's already a lot we know, but there's going to be a lot we'll need to learn as we embrace that new space. So we'll we'll sort of get on that bus together and ride it together and use the month of September. We want we definitely want to open my feedback. We want to understand what you see and your sensing so that there are changes we need to make uh, or things that are out of source we can uh, take care of all of that. Okay? Uh, if you're online or here, for those of you that have been giving, thank you for your fidelity there. Uh, you can continue to give online uh, by mailing something to the office or the giving towers if you are giving physically. Um, you have all been very faithful for uh, to that over these past months, and I thank you for that. And I want you to know on the table you'll find connection cards. So if you need to be prayed for, if you have a, a question about life or faith, this is true for online. There's a myriad of ways to get in touch with us. Email, text, call. Don't leave this place today walking alone with Jesus. Leave this place today with people who are supporting you in your next step, whatever that is. Whether it's believing in him for the first time or, or needing some support in, in re-believing in an area of, of your trust and faith in Jesus that maybe you stepped away from. We're here for you, and I pray that you are here for each other. And so, uh, since we haven't done this in six months, I'd like to give us a benediction if you are all okay with this. I'd like to get as normal as possible. Uh, this, this week as you go, remember that uh, Jesus, Jesus' love for us actually was shown not just in the way that he lived for us, but in the way that he died for us on the cross. And as you go, I pray that love will define who you are, and it will, will permeate every word that comes out of your mouth. And as you go, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father,